This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. I don't know the first thing about investing my money, and it is all so overwhelming, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I love that Acorns makes it so easy, and how you don't need a lot of money to get started. So head to acorns.com creepers, or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com creepers. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC, Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA CIPIC. For more information, visit acorns.com. When I was at the juice bar, I was like, I, f- I want to be hungover and experiencing. Like, I don't want to be hungover, but I was like, this just feels like I should be coming in in my like oversized, overpriced Nike sweatshirt, ordering a cult press juice. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. But I wasn't. I like have no social life. So I just rolled out of bed and got juice. Whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Okay, Mogap, today I'm telling you a real table-flipping kind of story. Oh, it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute. This is the story of a woman named Marissa Alexander who was sentenced to 20 years in prison after defending herself against her abusive ex-husband when she says he threatened to kill her. You said 20 years in prison. Oh, yeah. Yes. For attempting. Right. Okay. Okay. For firing a warning shot into the ceiling. I'm sure this will shock you, but I do not know this story. <laughs> well, and we'll get into how I know it because nobody did. 
So I'm going to go ahead and give just a content warning that this story does deal with domestic abuse. If that is a trigger for you, um, proceed with caution. All right, let's get started. Marissa Alexander met Rico Gray on a blind date in 2009. Rico Suave. Rico Rico Suave. Yeah, he thinks he is. (laughs) Right from the start, they had a lot of chemistry. And she says when the relationship was good, it was excellent. But when it was bad, it was really really bad. It started with little things, things Marissa saw as showing affection, like checking up on her constantly and always needing to know where she was. She saw that as him showing love, like he wants to know where she is. He cares about her. But we now know it's really an early warning sign of an abuser. This constant checking in escalated to him hitting her just for going to the grocery store. Marissa got really good at just rationalizing his behavior. They would break up, but he'd come crawling back, acting really sorry and just love bombing her, and she'd take him back. All of this is almost textbook domestic violence or coercive control, and we'll get into that in a little bit. And I feel like all of us know, maybe not to this extent, but have like seen a relationship where there are warning signs like that. Yeah, and I think that there's been so much research done just in the last like decade that really shows these early warning signs, these patterns that are consistent across domestic abuse cases. And I think it's so important that people, especially like young girls, know and understand these warning signs because rationalizing people's behavior, is it's so easy to do. And accepting apologies like, oh, he had a bad day. Um or, or she, you know, it could go either way, but the majority of cases are violence against women. So. Yeah. You said a lot in the last decade. When was this? Did you already tell me the year? No, they met in 2009 is when they met. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Yeah. At one point he pushed her into a bathtub so hard she'd hit her head and had to go to the hospital. (gasps) Oh, Gray was arrested for that incident and Marissa got a restraining order, but the charges against Gray were dropped when Marissa decided not to continue with the case, which is something that is so common with these types of situations. She also found out she was pregnant, and so she had the restraining order amended so they could have contact while leaving the rest of the order in place. But Rico was on his best behavior during this time, and she was hopeful he'd changed. So they decided to get married and work on their relationship. Wait, how do you... How does that work? Like the res- part of the order is intact. Like, how are you getting married if there's a restraining order? I'm not sure about the legality of that, but that's what happened. Their restraining order was still partially in place when they got married. <laughs> Their altar wasn't 500 feet apart. No, I'm thinking okay. that I don't know the details of this particular restraining order, but I would think maybe it's like, okay, we can have contact, but under these certain circumstances. And that wedding seems pushing that, but okay. Yeah. Their relationship was so stressful that she went into preterm labor at five months and she went to live (laughs) with her mother after she got out of the hospital. Her plan was to move out entirely, but she had to be really careful and only take a few things at a time so that he wouldn't know that she was leaving. Leaving an abusive relationship is the most dangerous time of the relationship. And statistically speaking, it's when you're likely to be killed, when you're most likely to be killed. And why it doesn't happen as much as it should. Exactly. And we'll go into all of the many reasons that women don't leave abusive relationships. And that is definitely one of them. So she knew she had to be careful. Marissa's daughter was born premature and weighed only four pounds, 12 ounces. And Marissa says the physical abuse she suffered contributed to her going into early labor. Of course. By August 1st, 2010, the couple were married, but they were estranged. She was living with her mother. They weren't having really any contact. Their daughter was nine days old and hadn't been released from the NICU. Marissa had been at the hospital every day and night. And that day, August 1st, she'd given her baby her first bath and she'd taken some pictures of her with her phone. She texted, I know, she texted her ex-husband the pictures because he was in Orlando with the twins they had together and she wanted him to show the twins the pictures of their sister. So like a different, this is an ex-husband, not the abuser. Correct. Baby daddy. Exactly. 
Marissa then went over to Gray's house in Jacksonville, Florida to pick up some of her stuff and take it to her mother's. Her sister was meeting her there, but before her sister could get there, Gray showed up with his two sons. She was surprised to see him, a little nervous, but she figured she'd be cordial, and she showed him some pictures of the newborn baby on her phone. I really need a family tree. Like, there's already so many characters in this. So Marissa was married before Rico, and she had twins with that man. They're divorced, but it seems like they still had a very amicable relationship. Then she met Rico. They got pregnant, got married, and now they're estranged. And he has has. two sons. Regardless, what I'm saying is there are too many babies in this story. There are five, yes. So Marissa went to the bathroom while Gray was looking at the pictures on her phone. And while she was in there, he started looking through her phone and looking through her text messages and saw Uh. that she had texted her ex-husband a picture of the new baby. And immediately his mind jumped to, she's cheating on me. The baby is obviously this other guy's and not mine. And he went into this jealous rage. But y'all are estranged. And also PSA. Reading text, I mean, right. Well, it's and never a good idea. Obviously, the baby wasn't her ex husband's, like it right. was obviously his, but it obviously not the point. He stormed into the unlocked bathroom, started accusing her of all of this, yelling at her, telling her that he was going to kill her. And this is when the assault began. This is Marissa's version of what happened. He began hitting her, shoving her, strangling her, threatening to kill her, and she was fearful of her life. She fought her way free and ran to the garage where her car was parked, but due to some kind of mechanical failure, the garage door wouldn't open. She was trapped, and he had her phone. She didn't know what to do. Very unlucky. Very unlucky. Yes. She didn't know what to do, and she was terrified. She did have a concealed weapons permit and a registered gun in the car, which she had never used before. She grabbed it out of her car, went back into the house to either try to leave through a door or to get her phone back to call for help. She thought that he had left, but he came into the kitchen where Marissa was, saw the gun she was holding by her side, and said that he was going to kill her. She says his two sons were not in the kitchen at this time. She thought maybe they had left. Or like gone out the other door. Side, yeah. Mm -hmm. She raised the gun and fired a warning shot into the wall above his head near the ceiling. And he ran out of the house and called the police, telling them that she had fired a gun at him and his two sons. So, warning shot as in like she intentionally aimed up, not that she just was like a bad aim. Like she, it was intentionally for her warning shot, not like she missed. She actually was very familiar with guns. She was raised in a, like, I I believe it was like a military household. She had never used this gun before, but she had used guns before in like a, like a shooting range, things like that. Right. She had been taught how to shoot a gun. She Um, wasn't just like, you know, waving pistols around. (laughs) Like she didn't know what she was doing in the kitchen. Right. Exactly. And I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think to get a concealed weapons permit, you have to like go through courses and yeah training to, yeah. yeah to get that so um it wasn't just some random gun she found and then she's waving it around and it was only one shot she fired one shot and that was the shot that was it she wasn't like bam 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 either you know yeah originally gray's story was almost identical in his deposition he confirmed everything that marissa said he also added that he knew the garage door wouldn't go up because they'd been having problems with it like sometimes it would work sometimes it wouldn't Gray said that Marissa returned into the house holding the gun with her hand down and told him to leave. He refused. At the deposition after Marissa was arrested, he said she shot in the air one time. He said she never aimed it at him. It was down, pointed down, and then it was up, pointed up. So, like, should I start clearing my table off because I feel like I need to flip it because I already know where this is going. You are going to want to flip that table. So I would make some room. Anything you don't want broken, I would put on the floor. Because Well, when you just said his story was almost identical, did he mention the whole, like, assaulting her part? Because that seems key. Yeah. Oh, so he he admitted all of that. Yeah. Oh my God. Sure did. Sure did. I'll tell you exactly what he said. So he said she shot in the air one time and then he decided to leave. He said, and these are direct quotes. Okay. He said, 
She knew the relationships he'd been in and he had put his hands on her before. He said he honestly thinks she just didn't want him to put her put his hands on her anymore. So she did what she felt like she had to do to make sure she wouldn't get hurt. He also said the gun was never actually pointed at me. When she raised the gun down and raised it up, you know, the gun was never pointed at me. That's a direct quote from him. Okay. He also okay. said... I got five baby mamas and I put my hand on every last one of them except one. The way I was oh with women. Oh my God. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. Oh my God. He said the way he was with women, they were like they had to walk on eggshells around him. He said, you know, they never knew what I was thinking or what I might do. Hit them, push them. And he and Marissa had at least four to five episodes of domestic violence before this one. If this low life is not locked up, I'm going to lose my shit. I'm sorry. Do you mean the victim? The victim of this attack against his wife who pointed a gun at him? Excuse you? <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, yeah. Uh, so many articles mm. referred to him as the victim. I wanted to scream because this is where it gets tricky. At the time, Gray ran out of the house and... Marissa's cell phone was ringing. She had her phone back. Her phone's ringing. It's a number she doesn't, she doesn't recognize. She doesn't answer it. And then her sister calls her. So she answers it. And her sister says, do not come outside. There are police everywhere. They're, they've been trying to call you. And so she talks to the police officer and she tells him, I'm coming out. Please don't shoot me. And she walks outside and they arrest her for this. Then after they arrest her, Gray calls and gives this deposition, this statement. Okay. Well, Marissa gets released on bond after spending a couple nights in prison or in, I'm sorry, in jail. And on New Year's Eve, there was another incident. Marissa was out on bond and a requirement of her bond was that she have no contact with Gray. She violated that when she went to Gray's house to try to get him to sign some papers so that she could put their baby on her insurance. And Gray said that while she was at his house, she struck him in the eye in front of his kids and then ran out of the house without her shoes. This incident put Marissa back in jail and it caused Gray to completely change his story. I mean, not her fault, but like, sis, docu-sign. Like, can you send it over? Well, I don't know. Did they have that in 2010? I don't even know. But yeah, mistakes were made. He now says that he was only protecting her with what he said in that deposition. He says the August 1st incident actually went more like this. They started arguing about the text message and she started hitting him. He put his hands up in defense to buy time for his two sons to gather their stuff so they could leave. He told her the baby probably isn't even his. It's her ex-husband. And she said, oh, I got something for you. She went to her car, retrieved the gun, came back in, and he started begging for his life. Oh, my God, please. He took his eyes off her to look at his sons, and that's when he heard the gun go off. He says he's never hit a woman in his life and that he lied in his deposition to try and help Marissa because he didn't want her to go to jail. He says he's only had one misdemeanor charge of domestic abuse from 2006 when he was in an argument with a girlfriend and shoved her out of the way, but he didn't hit her. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I know. One. Slightly unrelated, but you know how I like to picture the story as you're telling me? Sure, which of course. Now that I say that sounds really disgusting and weird, but I'm trying to paint that's the hot for you. Yeah. <laughs> and you know how, like, I usually know what people look like. You just keep saying Marissa. So I just need everyone to know that I am picturing Marissa from the OC because I recently watched it this summer. So that is the image in my head. <laughs> Secondly, though, more important, how, and, Look, we are not a podcast of man haters. Like, that is not the case. I definitely believe that men can be victims in some cases. And I think that there are definitely some, some cray cray women out there. Not in this case. How are they able to take everything he said before? And now all of a sudden he's like, oh, I was begging for my life and I've never had any issue. But there was this one time of domestic abuse. But like, that doesn't count here. Like, there's clearly a pattern. There are so many how moments in this story, especially when we get into this prosecutor who was a woman. And uh, yeah, 
Yes. Why is suddenly his whole story before completely dismissed? And it's now this new story that you're latching onto. And like, oh, I, I did it to protect her. Yeah. So that she gets out so you can do it all. Like every time then you get her back and it's like, oh, I did you this favor. And then you continue to well, mentally and, you, and physically abuse her. You're sitting there telling the police that you have abused every single one of your previous <laughs> partners. Uh, were you, did you have some sort of immunity to make those statements? Like you're admitting yeah. to a crime. And like what a sociopath to obviously just be able to do that in general, but then to be able to confidently in an interrogation or investigation or whatever, giving a statement to be like, yes. And also I have abused the following five other women. Like who does that? Right. Exactly. Who does that? And then who talks about doing it to the police? (laughs) Exactly. Well, and okay. So you said that you're picturing Marissa from the OC. This Marissa is actually black. So was Rico Gray. And so I think that that probably had something to do with the way that she was treated. So you're saying like a rich young girl from Orange County, California may have been treated differently. (laughs) (laughs) Not in our criminal justice system, Mogab. We're all equal here on that side of the fence. Obviously. Curious. Yeah. <laughs> there are an equal amount of rich and poor people in prison. All the stats say that. <laughs> Cited in one of our 1,000 sources in the show notes. <laughs> I will. It'll be from a source called... Um, Fake oh. news. <laughs> I was trying to come up with something funny, but I couldn't get there. <laughs> uh, okay. Now... There are a few holes in each side story. First is that the garage door appeared to be working for everyone else except Marissa. But if we assume that she's telling the truth and we put ourselves in her state of mind, to me, it's possible that it was a mechanical failure, like he had said they'd been having problems with it. Or it's possible that she was so frantic that she wasn't hitting the button correctly. Like there have been times when I've tried to hit a garage door opener, especially an older one, and it didn't work for me. And I wasn't like frantically trying to open it and get out, you know? And then a few or, working fine. Or it doesn't matter. Like, why does that matter? Like she's getting the crap beat out of her. So the thing is like, oh, she should have been able to run away instead of come back in. It doesn't matter. That should not matter. No, I 100% agree. I think it matters because people took Rico's story very seriously. They did not take hers very seriously. And it's almost like they all assumed that after he had lied, when he came back, this was the real story. This was him telling the truth. And it was that she was the aggressor, that she went out with the purpose of getting the gun. I think it matters to some people. I agree. Who, Nancy Grace? Is Nancy Grace mm. involved in this? <laughs> I, no, for real, though. She, she didn't even she... try to get out. That garage door was working for every other person except for her. <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was wondering. I then a few minutes. Okay, so Gray said earlier the garage door wasn't working right. And he now says it had worked for him earlier that day. It worked for the police later as well. And I don't really understand why her car was in the garage in the first place or why she'd close the door behind her if all she was doing was going in and collecting her things. But there are also a ton of stuff that could explain this. Like maybe she didn't want anyone to see her car or know that she was there because she wasn't expecting him to be to come home while she was there. Right. Okay. So now that we've looked closely at her story, let's look closely at his. I'm looking closely at Rico Gray. Mm. So he says she came into the kitchen after beating on him in front of his children, where all he did was put his hands up to defend himself. And she comes back in with a gun and he's afraid for his life. And she fired (laughs) off a shot, a single shot that is most definitely toward the ceiling, well above his head. It's like, um, like the bullet hole is not in the ceiling. It's not straight up, but it's right there at the top of the wall, like close to the ceiling. So that's proven. It was a warning shot. If Rico's story is accurate and she was the aggressor and she was trying to hurt him, why wouldn't she have shot him instead of firing a warning shot intended to get him to stop and leave? 
Oh, and it also doesn't sound like sis would miss. Like she was experienced with firearms. So you have to try really hard to not like to hit the ceiling if you're shooting at someone right in front of you. Plus, <laughs> if it was for him and his two sons, that would take more than one bullet. Right. Wasn't she accused of trying to harm all three? Yeah, I think it was just the fact that she was trying to shoot him with his two kids in the room that just made her look bad. Yeah, yeah, endangered them. I don't think he was trying to say that she was trying to shoot the kids, just that they, yeah, would have been in danger. What would she have been warning him against if she was the aggressor? Right. It gives me chills. It's like so obvious. Ah. Then there's the matter of him saying that he was lying in his deposition about being abusive and how he's only had this one misdemeanor charge of domestic violence from 2006. That's not even true. He's been arrested twice for domestic <gasps> violence. One resulted in a conviction. The other one was probation. So oh. why aren't they doing anything when he's coming in saying well, he's abused? All he's an answer for your crimes. That's what this <laughs> podcast should be called. Oh my God. Blank. Answer Dear blank. For- Answer for your crimes. Yes. Because also Marissa had a restraining order against him at the time and he'd put her in the hospital. Like there's obviously things backing up <sighs> that what he said the first time was the truth. I do believe that he was trying to help her by saying that because I don't think that he would have gone in there and said all of that, like admitted to all of that abuse if he wasn't trying to help her and say, no, like she's good. Let her out. Like it really was my fault. But then it sounds like he was trying to help her. I think he was trying to get her out to then still have control over her because if someone else is like, he has to have control and he doesn't have control if she's like in jail. Okay, good point. Yes, I did not mean that he was like trying to help her. Like he's this great guy who just has her best interests in mind. Right. Okay, are you ready for this? No. You're not. You're not ready for this. There have since been five more women who have come forward with stories of abuse from Gray, including three women with whom Gray has had children, as well as two sisters-in-law, all accused Gray of physically intimidating or brutalizing them. Mm. Ooh, I've never like, oh, that word, brutalizing. I know. That was a quote. If this man is not locked up, I will call the FBI from that 713 number you provided before, and I will literally lose it. Get ready to call that 713 number because <laughs> I'm not in jail. Oh, it's not even funny. I don't even want to laugh. That's awful. How is this man? Okay. Get, get, me there. Since, get me to the logic here. Like, <laughs> we're never going to get there. <laughs> it seems like Gray was obviously telling the truth in his deposition. And is lying now. One witness accused Gray of so many things like being hit with a gun, having her nose broken, and being locked in a closet for hours. One of the witnesses, a former girlfriend, said that he once, God, he once stabbed himself with a fork in order to feign an injury to the police. And he instructed his sons to lie to officers in order to back up his version of events. You want to abuse women so badly that you're willing to stab yourself with a fork? Like, I I don't understand. And that witness is now being painted as a liar since she had previously given a statement saying that Gray had never been abusive because that's – Right. That's not unusual for an abuse victim at all to try to cover for their abusers. Yeah, because what's, you know, what's worse than then you tell the truth and then you go home to your abuser and he knows that you – told the truth you you tell the truth no one believes you and then you're stuck and now he knows right many women are afraid of legally accusing their abusers because they're fearing that they're going to kill them and that happens all the time so i want to take a minute to talk about domestic violence because there are so many misconceptions when it comes to this Like I said, Marissa claims that she was physically abused by Gray many times, and she did have a a restraining order against him. 
But like we said, how weird. She then marries him while the order is still in effect. And if you're looking at this from a purely common sense viewpoint with no knowledge of domestic violence, this seems like a red flag. Like she must be lying about all this abuse. Or why would she do that? Why would she marry him? And the top question on everyone's mind when they hear stories about abusive relationships is, why didn't she just leave? She could have left any time. Why didn't she just leave? Or she took him back, so she must have been lying. Or it must not be that bad. Or she must be an idiot. Like, these are the things. And I, I've heard people say this, you know? Yeah. Abusive relationships are extremely complex situations, and it takes so much courage to leave them. And risk. Abuse, and resources. Like, yes. courage and resources. Like, a lot of it's not just physical power and emotional power, like financial security and power, like children are right. involved. I mean, right. It's all about power and control when a, and so this information that I'm going into comes from the national domestic violence hotline. And we'll go into that organization um, at the end. They call victims of domestic abuse survivors, which I love. And they say when a survivor leaves their abusive relationship, they threaten the power and control that their partner has established over that survivor's agency, which might cause the partner to retaliate in harmful ways. And as a result, leaving, like I said before, is often the most dangerous period of time for survivors of abuse. This will blow your mind. Since September 11th, 2001, more women have been killed by their boyfriends or husbands than all of the Americans killed in the 9-11 attacks or in Afghanistan and Iraq. What? About 10,000 women have been oh, killed stomach since just 2001. Like, oh, are, my stomach just like flip-flopped. I know. There are many reasons an abuse survivor won't leave or would take their abuser back. So we're going to talk about a few of them. And again, this is all from the National Domestic Abuse Hotline. Fear is number one, either of their partner's actions or of their own ability to be independent. Yeah. Normalized abuse. If someone grew up in an environment where abuse was common, they might not know what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like, and they might not recognize that their partner's behaviors are unhealthy or abusive because with abusive relationships, it's not like the guy is abusive 100% of the time. There's oh, usually yeah. lots of times where everything is great. He's doting and loving and showing he cares. And then well, you said that here too, like the love bomb, like they really will just overload the person with especially, affection and gifts and whatever. And then- Especially at the beginning of a relationship. Yes, they will, yeah, love bomb them like you said. And then the, the, the switch flips. Another reason women won't leave is possibly shame. It can be mm -hmm. difficult for someone to admit that they've been abused or are being abused. They may feel like they've done something wrong, that they deserve the abuse or that experiencing abuse is a sign of weakness. Um, shame is like one of the most, um, because I've been reading some Brene Brown. I was going to say, have you been reading Brene Brown? Uh, yeah. It's one of the most like just, it is a like contributing factor in all we do. Like you know, or yeah. don't do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's so unnecessary. Like, it's such an unnecessary emotion, but also rooted in some reality because people do judge people that are in abusive relationships. Like, why would you let yourself get into that situation? And mm -hmm. so you do have a sense of shame. There's also intimidation. Like a survivor might be intimidated into staying in a relationship by threats or mm -hmm. the threats, like threats to spread information, like not even physical threats, but like revenge porn or I'm going to tell oh, people this secret. Yeah. Yes. Um, I even think of like the community. So growing up with all these people, like if you can't get away, I think about college and like sororities and fraternities and things that are like their own communities. Like you see these people everywhere. And so even if you want to leave and get out, it doesn't necessarily mean they won't be like in your community. Right. Either. And then like super uncomfy. What are you going to do? Look over your shoulder for the rest of your life? Because 
women that leave abusive relationships are not protected by the law. As we can see, this guy walks in, admits to beating on all his wives, and like he's the victim in this case. He's the victim in this case. Answer for your crime. Legally speaking, I'm talking legally speaking, obviously, she's the victim. (laughs) She's the survivor. I really like that they call them survivors. But then at the same time, I'm like, there's a lot of people that don't survive. Uh, I can't get over that statistic. Can you believe that? And I've got some more statistics for you that... I'm telling you, clear off that table. I'm good. I I could do with that. (laughs) There's also low self-esteem. You know, after experiencing verbal abuse or blame for physical abuse, it can be really easy to believe those things and believe that you're the problem, that it's your fault that your partner has to hit you because you did this and this. And if you just hadn't messed up, if you just hadn't burned dinner or whatever, that it's and it's not fault. like self-esteem is something that's like just growing on trees and you can just hurry up and refill on real quick. Like that's, you don't just like, your self-esteem doesn't recover quickly. No. And once all, you lose ever, it, yeah. Once you lose it, it, it takes personal work to build it back up. Like you have to actively seek to build up your self-esteem again. It's like a freshman GPA. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, children. Many survivors might feel guilty or responsible for disrupting their family unit, or their partners might use the children to guilt them into staying. And then, of course, love. I mean, just because somebody's abusive to me doesn't mean you don't feel something for them. And because abusers are adept, like we talked about, at love bombing survivors. And that means that at the beginning of a relationship, they just go overboard to show love and affection. They might even tell them that they love them within like the first couple weeks of meeting. And you're just thinking, oh my gosh, this guy loves me so much and I'm getting all this attention and this feels wonderful. And he's telling me all these wonderful things. And so you have this place in your heart for this person Mm -hmm. that when he turns out to not be that person, it's hard to switch. And anything I've ever seen or like read also talks about the like abuser always saying like, you know, I won't do it again. Like I learned this time. And then there's an extended period of time where things are great. And then things just got out of hand. And a lot of times alcohol and drugs are involved too. And so it's because they were messed up or they were high or whatever, but normally it's okay. Right. That's actually exactly what the next one was, was manipulation. Abusive relationships aren't abusive 100% of the time, usually. The other times, things might be great. And after an attack, yeah, their partners might apologize and say, it'll never happen again. I'm so sorry. Here's some flowers or jewelry or whatever to show you how sorry I am. Another manipulation tact common with abuse is if you leave me, I won't be able to go on. I need you. Like I'm going to hurt myself or do something to myself if you leave me. Yes. I. Okay. Those are... Just some of the many reasons, there are more, I didn't go through all of them, that people might not leave an abusive situation. So I think that's important to keep in mind when you think about, well, she got married to him and da-da-da-da, all these things. And And if you're listening to this and some of those sound familiar, I'm sure there will be resources at the end of this podcast. 100%. I will definitely be giving resources to that National Domestic Violence Hotline. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com 
slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. So after police arrive on the scene at Rico Gray's house, Marissa was charged with aggravated assault with a firearm, even You're though joking. no one was hurt. Yeah. You're joking. Do you want to know what the mandatory minimum sentence is? Not really, because now I'm aggravated. <laughs> the mandatory minimum sentence, mandatory. regardless of any mitigating factors, is 20 years minimum. Wait. Regardless of any factors. If you're found guilty. I don't understand. It's hard to understand, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad no one can see my face. I'm literally not going to explain it any further because that's all there is to it. Like, I I need (laughs) you to. I need you to. Aggravated assault with a firearm comes with a mandatory minimum of 20 years. This is in Florida. I was just about to say, I, I didn't know if that was like a, okay. I, huh. For f- nobody even getting hurt. People get off with murder in half the time as that. The state offered Marissa a plea deal of three years, but Marissa was sure that she'd been in the right. She was sure that she could defend herself, so she denied the plea. Because, duh, Marissa. Also, duh, but also like, what does that say if now you're the victim and you've been abused, and now you're having to go out and say, like, a plea deal and basically plead guilty. Like, that's, we're talking about self-esteem. Marissa met with a lawyer, and her plan was to use Florida's stand-your-ground law as a defense in this case, because the law states, this is the law, this is a direct quote, a person who is not engaged in an unlawful activity and who is attacked in any other place where he or she has a right to be has no duty to retreat and has the right to stand his or her ground and meet force with force. So this seemed to make perfect sense for Marissa's defense. She felt her life was threatened, and so she threatened her attacker with deadly force. She didn't and even she's use. at her own home, right? Yes. She's at her house. Well, so she got, he was the one living there. there. Yes, he was oh. living there, but they were married. It was their house. Yes, she had a right to be there. She didn't even use deadly force. She fired a warning shot into the ceiling. No one was injured. No one was killed, and it caused her attacker to leave the house and leave her alone. But the judge rejected Marissa's motion to invoke stand your ground because he said she could have just exited the home instead of firing the shot. Uh, I'm sure that this man who has put his hands on her before is larger and maybe was blocking the exit or chasing her or whatever else doesn't matter. What happened to stand your ground saying you don't have a duty to retreat? You don't have a duty to retreat. The judge wrote, There was, this is a direct quote, the judge wrote, there was insufficient evidence that she reasonably believed that deadly force was needed and that Marissa's behavior was inconsistent with a person who is in genuine fear for his or her life. Why is that up to a judge? How is that not up to a jury to decide that? And also, she didn't use deadly, I mean, it was a warning shot. Here's the thing. In other words, this is what he's saying. In other words, because she fired into the ceiling and not into his head, it shows she wasn't actually afraid for her life. And many commentators on this case have said that she would have been better off if she'd killed him instead of firing that warning shot, because then she could have probably proven stand your ground. This is like terrible, but my uncles who, you know, obviously have been raised around firearms and all of that. And when they were like teaching me how to shoot, they're always like, because I was like, I wouldn't like kill anyone if I was like scared for my life. I would like shoot him in the leg. And all of my uncles and my brother were like, no, because then they can testify, <laughs> which is like terrible. But like, they were like, if you are being attacked, you don't shoot them in the leg. Like that. Yeah. You just don't. You have like, to I'll prove. just make them limp so I can run away. And now same. I'm like, nope. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. I... Marissa's trial lasted two days, after which the jury was given these instructions. 
In order to find Marissa guilty of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, the state had to have proved that Marissa threatened Gray with violence, which she did, that Marissa appeared to have the ability to carry out the threat, which she did, and that she created in the mind of Gray a well-founded fear the violence was about to take place, which I guess you could say firing the gun did, and he did leave, so he must have been fearful that she the violence was about to take place so check 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 like those yeah. are the jury instructions i but thought then, she didn't have a jury though you said it why does the judge get to decide that not a jury the so judge she, decided she couldn't use stand your ground because there was insufficient oh, evidence it. to show that she was in fear for her life okay yeah that doesn't make any sense but then the instructions also said the jury could take account take into account self-defense and stand your ground. Like every single one of the million articles I read said this judge denied that she could use that defense in court. So I guess what it meant is that they couldn't bring it up. They couldn't use that defense, like bring it up at trial. But I read, like I found the actual document with the jury instructions and it said the instructions talked about stand your ground. But then the jury only deliberated. Guess how long they deliberated? Just guess. Throw out a number. Two hours. 12 minutes. Uh, 12 minutes. We've already been deliberating longer than that on this case. <laughs> I can't even shower in 12 minutes. No. 12 minutes before they came back with a guilty verdict. Um, like what? She doesn't even have time to like go to the bathroom in the vending machine. Right. 12 After- minutes? After reading those instructions, I'm not surprised that she was found guilty because the the instructions are clear. And yes, check, check, check. Especially after I found out that letters written by witnesses of Gray's abuse weren't admitted as they described incidents that happened prior to this August 1st incident. So the jury didn't get to hear anything about all the previous abuse because- Why does that keep happening? They said it was attacking the character of the victim. But that he's not the victim. (laughs) Okay, but that happened like the same thing in freaking Lululemon with Brittany and how they couldn't bring up all of her shoplifting stuff and all her bad behavior. Like, bad behavior. Listen to me like I'm a school teacher. Mm. Um, I don't understand why we... I don't know. I'm not surprised that this jury found her guilty, but I think it's obvious that the jury did not even discuss the self-defense section of the instructions or they would have had to take longer. You can't discuss. minutes. That's a minute a juror. That's one minute, (laughs) 60 seconds. That's enough time. That is enough time to walk in, say, okay, let's take a, uh, an initial vote. They all vote. Oh, we all voted guilty. So I guess what we're just going to go guilt. That's you don't deliberate at all in 12 minutes. 12 minutes is like three Mariah Carey songs. Right. But which this, I've been listening to a lot. This is the thing. This is the thing. And this is a direct quote from one of the articles that I have um, from domesticshelters.org. Okay. So domesticshelters.org says this. When women kill an abuser, the narrative doesn't fit as neatly into this self-defense paradigm we often think of, which demands an imminent threat. Like if a woman is attacked on the street by a masked man and she shoots and kills them, it's clearly self-defense. But what about the woman whose abusive husband threatens to kill her if she tries to leave or if she tells anyone about the abuse? What if he shows her the knife or the gun or the grave he's dug for her? What if he tells her she'll never be free? In battered spouses, danger has been building up over time, and it's very difficult to explain that to a jury. Yeah. So again, not surprised she was found guilty. But what is surprising, however, is her absolutely ridiculous sentence. With a guilty verdict, the judge had no choice but to sentence her to 20 years in prison due to the mandatory minimum sentence for the charge. This is because of the 10 to 20 to life statute, which says in Florida, which says that if someone is convicted of an aggravated assault in which they discharge a firearm, they must be sentenced to 20 years in prison, regardless of mitigating circumstances. It blows my mind that she would be in a better situation today if she would have shot and killed him. Doesn't it? I mean, like, 
And if you're in that situation, see, just like I said, my thought, my first thought had been like, I'm going to fire this warning shot so this loser gets out of here. And that mm-hmm. was the wrong choice, that which wrong is like choice. really terrible to say. It shouldn't be the wrong choice because she was able to use less force and still get what she wanted, which was for him to leave. And a less traumatizing experience for her. When you kill mm-hmm. somebody, like right. when you are not a serial murderer, like that would have ruined her life. Right. To kill someone. And so she did what was in the best interest of like the whole situation and now is in prison, which also ruined her life. Right. When circuit judge James Daniel sentenced her, he declared that once the state proved its case, the decision on an appropriate sentence was entirely taken out of his hands. Like he couldn't do anything. Yeah. But I still don't love him. Because I think he did damage with the the Stand Your Ground piece. Yeah, I agree. And a year later, the Florida Stand Your Ground law would gain national notoriety when George Zimmerman used it to get acquitted of the murder of Trayvon Martin after he had chased the teenager down and shot and killed him. Yeah, I do know that case. And that's how I know this case. Because it became so clear that the law was being used haphazardly to help some to abandon others. Marissa Alexander was a mother of three with an MBA and no criminal record. She was also black. George Zimmerman was a Hispanic man who'd previously been charged with assaulting an officer, had a restraining order against him from a former fiance who cited domestic violence as the cause, and yet it's Zimmerman that this law protects who killed somebody, and Marissa who gets a 20-year sentence for killing nobody. Even if Rico Gray's story was true and they were arguing and she attacked him and she fired a gun into the ceiling, even if that is really what happened, which I don't believe, okay, but even if, is a 20-year sentence appropriate for that? No one was killed. No one was even injured. It was obviously meant to be a warning shot. And it's cases like this that ask what is the actual point of prison? Like, what are we trying to do? Because if it's to keep bad people off the street so that they can't hurt other people, is Marissa Alexander really a danger to society? And if it's to punish people for doing something bad, is 20 years a reasonable amount of time to take away from someone because she fired a gun into the ceiling, a gun she had a permit for? People murder people and get less time than that. Yeah. I mean, I can't begin to um, unpack all of that, I feel like, but yeah, I even if, yeah, she was the aggressor, 20 years is just wild to me. What, what year was this? 2010 mm-hmm. or 2009, you said? They met in 2009 and then she I believe her trial was like 2011. So she, but okay, like essentially has been in jail or in prison for 10 years, 10 years over this. No, she hasn't because of George Zimmerman, honestly, but we'll get to that. Oh, okay. okay. Sometimes our system works. Sometimes really bad people do really bad things and our system stops them from doing more bad things. But Then there are people like Marissa who are sentenced to 20 years for something that had literally no lasting impact on anyone. The kids that were there are fine. Rico Gray is fine. No one was hurt. And this is just one story. There are tens of thousands of more. So, all right, this is the table flipping moment. Oh, we haven't gotten there yet? No, I'm sorry. We have not gotten there yet. (laughs) Oh, Okay. While researching this case, I found some stats on battered women in prison that were just absolutely shocking to me. Mm. Um, Just as a disclaimer, the stats that I found were from the early 90s, but they were true at the time. I don't know how much that has changed in those, you know, almost 30 years. But as Oh, my God. That was 30 years ago? I know. The 90s. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, that's like I was saying. I've been really listening to a lot of Mariah Carey lately. Oh, early (laughs) Mariah Carey is so Mm, good. I know. it. She is. So as of 1991, there are 2,000 battered women in America who are serving prison time for defending their lives against Mm. their batterers. 
Uh, like I said, I don't know what that number is today because there's really no precise data on it, but there is an estimate that 67% of women in prison today for murdering someone close to them were abused by that person. Also, get ready to flip that table because men who kill their partners serve an average of two to six years in prison <gasps> and women that kill their partners serve an average of 15 years in prison. Why? Despite also, six the- years for killing, murdering someone? And Marissa's in there for 20 for a warning shot? Mm-hmm. Right. So she's five years over the national average, and she didn't even kill anybody. This is what I'm saying. She would have been better off if she had killed him. Despite the fact that 90% of women in prison for killing a man were battered by those men. So there are several reasons why, but let me just give you a few examples of this. In 2017, in North Carolina, a man convicted of stabbing his pregnant wife to death in their bedroom was released from prison after only seven years. Uh, Then we got got Scott Peterson with the death penalty. So last May, a New Jersey man was sentenced to 15 years for the June 2017 murder of his wife, who died of blunt force trauma and was found floating in the couple's backyard pool. Her online search history showed that she was planning on leaving her husband. In Nebraska, a a man was found guilty of severing his wife's head, has been allowed to re-enter the community with supervision after spending only five years in a psychiatric hospital. Five years. Yeah. Now, there are several reasons that women get substantially higher sentences than men, and they're all bullshit, like spoiler alert. One is that women almost always have to use weapons to kill their abusers, whereas men can use their bare hands, beating, strangling. The weapons get women extra time. And then there's the victim blaming. The why didn't she leave? If she was abused, why didn't she look it? Why didn't she get help? Why didn't she tell anyone? And also due to the trauma the women have endured, they often appear cold-blooded in court. So she doesn't get the sympathies from the jury and the judge, most likely a man, most judges are men, can't relate to her. Well, and also like, I mean, you said this, but the trauma they're experiencing, they're not exactly going to break down and cry and like all this. They've been building up this like shell and wall and have like just are drained. Right. And then they're in this situation like. Right. Okay. So Marissa probably would have served her entire 20-year sentence if it weren't for George Zimmerman. Um, because with this 10, 20 to life law, no time off for good behavior. You know, most of the time you get sentenced to 20 years, you cut it in half, you're out in 10, unless you do something bad in prison. The fact that George Zimmerman wasn't even arrested at first sparked up such a national debate on Stand Your Ground, and people dug up Marissa's case, and they started talking about it again. Their point being, wait a second. If Stand Your Ground is a thing, and you're going to say that George Zimmerman had a right to kill Trayvon Martin because of Stand Your Ground, why is Marissa in prison for 20 years, and Zimmerman, who actually killed someone, hasn't even been arrested? Of course, Zimmerman was eventually arrested due to public pressure, but he was acquitted. I don't think life has been too fun for him, though. George Zimmerman's case brought national attention to Marissa's, and people got riled up about it, including me, because this is how I found out Mm. about it. People got so riled up about it because, duh, like it's so indicative of a system that does not understand domestic abuse, does not protect survivors of domestic abuse, and then when they try to protect themselves sentences them to 20 years. What's the lesson here? Make sure you shoot to kill instead of to warn. But Uh, I was taught that lesson. (laughs) Hey, Texas. (laughs) But I mean, honestly, all joking aside, I'm sure this is why. Like, this is exactly why I was told that Mm -hmm. growing up. Yeah. But also, you got to make sure that you wait to do it until he's about to kill you. Like, so just be ready because if, you know, if he's not about to kill you in the moment, then that's murder. But anyways, while Marissa was in prison, she kept in constant contact with her twins, but she only got to see her baby when her mom brought her to visit. And soon into her sentence, Gray filed for temporary custody, showed up at Marissa's mother's house with a police officer to take the baby. Marissa happened to be on the phone with her mom when the baby was taken. And... 
she had no control over that situation. Gray was a truck driver and Marissa didn't even know how he was planning on taking care of the baby while he's on the road. And why would he want to just, I mean, does it sound like power want to for the power to hurt her? And so she said to mentally deal with it all. She had to convince herself that during that period of time, she only had two kids, not three. When Marissa's case went to appeals in 2013, her conviction was overturned due to those weird jury instructions because they found that they shifted the burden of proof from the prosecutor to the defense, which is not supposed to be. The prosecutor is supposed to prove their case, right? not the defense. One, one article referred to this as her conviction being overturned because of a technicality. And it's like, uh, I know it's like, no, this is not a technicality. Those are the jury instructions. That's not a technicality. The people that are going to decide your fate for the next 20 years are given instructed. Yes. I was so annoyed that I went and looked up this reporter who wrote that article and saw she was like an Emmy award winner. And I just was even more annoyed. (laughs) Ew. It's like you get like a chessboard and someone hands you the instructions for checkers and you win. And they're like, well... It's a technical, like, no, bitch, you gave me the instruction for checkers. Exactly. Exactly. That was a really poor metaphor, but like, no, I actually really liked it. I thought you did great. (laughs) I thought you really pulled it out there at the end. Thanks. (laughs) Anyway, Marissa was released on bond awaiting her second trial. The prosecutor from the first trial, Angela Corey, protect your table again. Okay. Because she said she had every intention of retrying Marissa. And if convicted, she would seek to triple the sentence. Why? Uh, Why? This is some girl-on-girl crime that really upsets me. And that's That's a whole other thing. (laughs) Yeah, you're a woman. Like, support your sis. And you want to give a life sentence for this? For what? I literally Googled, why is Angela Corey such a bitch? And (laughs) things came up. (laughs) Oh. I guess she was known for ridiculously harsh sentences. She has since been voted out. Thank God. Good riddance. About to Google, why is Samantha Mogap such a bitch? (laughs) Looks like there aren't many great matches for your search. Oh, good. Look at that. Look but then that. there's Samantha, Urban Dictionary. Oh, God. Oh, the goofy comic relief. That's the first thing. Stop it. Swear to God. Samantha is usually the goofy comic relief in the group of friends. You're oh. the goofy comic relief of this podcast. Well, that's all I can really contribute. So that's great. Uh, oh, okay. Urban, I can't on. believe Urban Dictionary got that so right. Okay. So while she waited for her second trial, Marissa managed to negotiate a plea deal for three years in prison and two years confined to her home with an ankle monitor, and she was finally free in 2015. She moved in with her twins and her ex-husband, who she says had been a real friend to her during this time. Her ex-ex-husband, obviously, not Rico Gray. Originally, when she got out, she wanted to try and be a paralegal. But then she realized that she's a convicted felon and no one would let her help in that capacity. So she decided to start her nonprofit. And I Marissa, forgot she's a felon. That's another piece of this. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because. Like, why isn't it just like a class A misdemeanor? Well, that prosecutor wanted to give her 60 years. So yeah, like she would be 90 in prison, 90 years old. Right. Potentially. So, Potentially. So facing that, that's a life sentence. That's a life sentence for firing a warning shot into the city. That's your whole life. Why? I don't understand. So in lieu of that, she negotiated a plea deal for three years in prison and she'd already served a few of those. So I think it also took into account time served. So she was finally free in 2015 when her baby is four, her nine day old baby is like four or five. She finally gets to see her again. So she decides to start a nonprofit called the Marissa Alexander Justice Project that supports communities in directly making changes. And now it seems like she mostly does speaking engagements. I couldn't find anything on her nonprofit since 2018, like not even a social media post since then. But it seems like she's been doing well since she's gotten out. So I hope she got the best revenge body in prison. Like, (laughs) just, ugh. I know. 
Um, so if you or someone you know is at risk for domestic violence and you're in the U.S., you can reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, which you can find at hotline.org, or you can call them at 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. And they can help you create a safety plan, get you local resources, and get you legal help. So I decided this week that that would be the organization I would highlight. And from their website, hotline.org, they say the hotline is the only national full-service hotline that answers the call 24-7 for survivors and concerned friends, family members, coworkers, and others seeking information and guidance on how to help someone experiencing relationship abuse. Through one-on-one support, offering crisis intervention, options for next steps, and direct connections to service providers and other resources all across the country, we're shifting power back to the people directly affected by relationship abuse. And when you get onto their website, there's a pop-up that comes up and it explains how there's this button that's always there on the page. It follows you on to every page and it's a big red X. So if you click on it, it leaves the site immediately. And so if somebody were to like walk in a room and you needed to get out of that site quickly, you could just click that X and it will immediately shut down. And it also suggests clearing your browser history so that you can browse the site safely. Those instructions almost made me want to cry. Like thinking of a woman in a situation like that, sitting at her computer in her house, terrified somebody's going to walk in, trying to find help to get out of the situation. And the fact okay, that, that I'm crying, I know little red X is necessary. It really was upsetting. Um, oh, so it's upsetting. It's really cool. Ooh, it's really cool that that hotline exists, but it's crazy to think that it's the only one, as prevalent as this problem is in the United States, it's the only 24 mm-hmm. seven line yeah. for help. I mean, wow. National. Yeah. There might National. be local resources, but if you call them, they'll yeah. get you in touch with those local resources. So if you'd Ooh. like to donate to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, you can do so at hotline.org slash donate, but they also have other ways to help them that are listed on their website. And that is the story of Marissa Alexander, the woman who was sentenced to 20 years for trying to protect herself. Uh, that's, that's devastating. And I'm really glad that she's out just like she should be. Where's yeah. Rico? We don't know. He's not in prison. <laughs> I'm telling you, they referred to him as the victim in the whole trial. Like, well, I can't deep dive this because I'm just now getting my life back from Scott Peterson. So I've got to like tighten up because I cannot. Oh, I know. Go down these holes. So we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think about this episode. You can email us at creeperspod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Creepers Pod. We always post pictures from the uh, episode that we're doing. We post some of MoGab's best quotes. We post (laughs) funny memes. Just come check us out. We're having a party over there. And thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please go to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. It really, really helps us grow the podcast. We've loved all the reviews that have come in so far. Be sure to subscribe so you can get our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell MoGab all about the Austin Yogurt Shop murders. The what? Okay. Uh (laughs) Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.